your faces, and uh, and I'm excited about what God's doing. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in First um, John chapter two, and uh, last week we we started the book of First John, and uh, I, I really enjoyed teaching that, and so we're going to continue on here in chapter two. First John, if you are not familiar with it, it divides itself into three parts, uh, really nicely. First. First uh, John chapter 1 and 2 deal with the light of God. How many know that uh, the scripture says that God is light and in him is no darkness? That's what it says in First John chapter 1. And so that's a very potent bit of scripture. And then chapters 3 and 4 deal with the love of God. How many are grateful for the love of God? Amen. You're a product. You're here today because only because of the love of God. And then the last part of First John chapter 5 deals with the life of God. And so um, remember, John, uh, just to give you a little context, I talked about last week. I'm not going to really have too much time to talk about it this week is uh, John is dealing with the Gnostics and the Gnostics at this time were people who said that Jesus didn't come in the physical form, said he was more like a a phantom or a spirit or a ghost. And they were trying to get to uh, who he was and not saying that he truly was the son of God. How many know that the Apostle John could dispute that because he walked with Jesus? All right. And I'll say this. um, The devil has been trying to cause confusion on who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and who Jesus will be uh, since he was thrown out of heaven. And can I tell you something? The devil is a liar. Amen. And how many of you know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? How many know that Jesus is the good shepherd? How many know that Jesus is the high priest? How many know that Jesus is the Lamb of God? How many know that Jesus is the Lion of Judah? And the devil will never stop him. Amen? I don't know. That's a good start right there. And uh, so, anyways, I, I want to just, just lead in here. First John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, how many know that Christ is our advocate? Amen. Amen. How many know that Christ is our advocate? I like this. John starts like this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So I talked a little bit about this last week, but John here is is probably up there in age. He's probably getting really close to being 100 years old when he is writing these uh, these books and these these epistles here. And, And how many know that when you get old... You have the right to address younger people a little bit different than when you were younger, right? When you're older, you call kids, you call everybody kids, right? You're just a kid. They could be 60 years old, but if you're 90, they're a kid to you, right? And uh, Or 70 years old. I find myself doing that. I call almost everybody a, a, a kid. Um, you know, I'm not that old. I mean, I'm getting older, but I'm not that old. And so... Uh, so he starts this by saying little children, and, and truthfully, he is echoing something that uh, Matthew's gospel says. In Matthew chapter 18, 3, it says this, uh, and then he said, and this is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, everyone say little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. I think I find that very interesting that Jesus would use that verbiage and and so he says this, Jesus says this, turn from your sin or, or repent. Everyone say repent. Nobody likes that word. We run from that word. But if we want revival, we have to repent. If we want God to move on our behalf, we have to repent. 
You know, repent from what? From our sins, from our wicked ways. We're human. And we have to walk away, stop, stop willfully sinning and walk away from those things. That's what it means to repent. And then Jesus would say this, come with childlike faith. And, and you know what I love about kids is they'll, they'll humble themselves, you know. My kids don't worry about where their next meal comes from, right? There's no mom and dad are going to take care of them. They don't, they don't worry. I mean, and, and, and honestly, as, as children of God, we shouldn't worry about our needs. How many know that God can meet our needs? If God cares about the lilies of the field, what, how much more does he care about you? If he cares about uh, the birds in the sky, how much more does he care about you? And so I love how John starts, little children. So John would have understood this, hearing this from Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, and he speaks from an older age of wisdom and with authority of somebody who has experienced it. It says, the next part says this, but if anyone does sin, and so he's basically saying this, I'm writing you. Um, so that you won't sin. But, but John understood the human condition, and John understood the human nature. How many know we all mess up from time to time? We all make mistakes. Um, it's not that we should sin because uh, we know we're going to, you know, because we're going to know, we know we could be forgiven. But we're going to mess up occasionally. Uh, some days we're going to get it right. Some days we're going to get it wrong. Why? Because we're human. We're human. We make mistakes daily. Uh, um, it's my carnality. It's my flesh. It gets me sometimes. How many sometimes, uh, you know, your anger gets the best of you sometimes? How many uh, sometimes the lust uh, gets you sometimes? How many bad motives get you sometimes or bad attitudes or even greed? Come on, somebody. And it's not a statement of uh, uh, encouraging us to sin, but a warning to all Christians to be on guard against sinful uh, tendencies. So uh, it, it, if you sin, and this is what he's saying, if you sin, uh, it's not over because the verse continues. The next verse says, or next portion of this verse says, uh, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And everyone say, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Advocate means this, intercessor or a consoler. And Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus is interceding for us continually in heaven. Amen. Romans tells us that he sits on the right side of the, of the Father, interceding for who? How many are grateful for that? Amen. If we, if we do sin... We have an advocate, or another way we could say that, a defense attorney. And so look at this. Verse 2 says this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not only do we have an advocate, but we have a God who is the propitiation for our sins. And so the tactic of our, our defense attorney, Jesus, everyone say, that's the best attorney you'll ever have. Amen. Uh, uh, the de uh, defense attorney, Jesus, is not to manipulate evidence for us to make an excuse for our sins. You know what a, a good lawyer is going to try to do if they're trying to get somebody off? They're going to look at the, the what's going on and try to manipulate or try to make people feel a certain way to make the verdict come out in the way that they want it to. Not Jesus. He doesn't manipulate anything. He doesn't. He doesn't have to because here's what Jesus does. He doesn't make excuses for our sin. No, 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 no. He is our advocate, and he bases his entire case upon the fact 
that he, H-E, Jesus Christ, the capital H-E there, uh, that he is the propitiation and the atonement for our sins. Amen. I don't know about you. This is good stuff. This is encouraging to me. And he looks uh, and he took it upon himself, uh, the righteousness, the, uh, the righteous indignation of the father that we, that should have been hurled on us. How many know that the wages of sin is what? That's what we deserve. That means death physically. That means death spiritually. That is what we deserve, but because Jesus Christ is the atonement, the propitiation means atonement, the price was paid. That's worth shaking your hand over and saying, hey, thank you, Jesus, amen. Let me give you a good example, and I've used this example a couple of times, but imagine that I'm driving uh, through downtown, down 16th Street, and I'm going 100 miles an hour, right? Some of you say, Pastor, we've seen you go down 16th Street, you're not that far off. I'm joking. Well, I'm sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm just I'm in a hurry, no matter what. Um, but imagine I'm 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 speeding down 16th Street as fast as I can through downtown, and, and Drew pulls up behind me. Some of you know who Drew is. Some of you don't know who Drew is, but he works for the sheriff's department. And he pulls up behind me, and he throws his lights on, and he pulls me over, and he's like, "Pastor, this is way too fast, so I'm going to have to take you in." And so I I I I have to go to court, and um. But imagine this, that I get into the courtroom, and I, and I walk in, and I look up there to the judge, and the judge happens to be my father. Now, you guys, some of you know my father, but he's not from around here. But I look up there, and for whatever reason, the judge is my father. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to be like, yes, this is good news for me because that's my dad. I'm his son. He's going to give me the benefit of the doubt. He's thinking boys will be boys. My son's a fast driver because he lived in California. I mean, he's going to give me all kinds of excuses, right? How many of you know sometimes it's good to have an in, right? But imagine this, that the judge asked me, and it's my father, he says, hey, did you do these things? And, and I have to look at him in, in honest uh, and, and just look to him and say, yes, I failed. I, I messed up. I, I sped through town. Uh, imagine my surprise if he said this, the judge and my father said this, well, you're guilty. You're guilty. Because the truth is the truth, Right? And here's what we need to understand is the judge says you're, you're guilty and you have to serve 50 years in prison or pay $5,000. You know what my thought would be? How is this so? How is this so? I, I don't understand. And, and maybe, you know, the judge looks down at me and says, hey, you are my son, but I, I'm, a, I'm just. And justice has to be served. That's what you need to understand. And, and, and I reach into my pocket, and I pull out my wallet, and guess what? I have $2 in my wallet only. Sounds about right. And I don't have $5,000, and I'm sitting there, and I begin to sweat, and my knees begin to knock. And the bailiff of that courtroom comes over and begins to tell me to put my hands behind my back because I'm going to have to go away. Now imagine this, that that judge steps down and takes his robe off. He's got a suit on underneath, but he takes his robe off, and he walks down to my side. And in that moment, he pulls out his checkbook and writes a check for $5,000 and gives it to the bailiff. Thus, by doing so, justice is served, right? Because the payment has been paid. Because the price for the sin of speeding down 16th Street was paid, not by me, 
but by my father who, who paid that debt, I was completely unable to pay. Do you hear what I'm, what I'm saying right now? Um, that is exactly what Jesus did when he came. He is the propitiation, justice. God is just. How many know that God is just? God is just. So we know that in Scripture. God does not change. He is a just God. He is a loving God, but God will judge sin. So justice is demanded. And justice demands that I pay the price for my sins. That means that means death. That means I have to die physically and spiritually. That's what I deserve because the, the because of the sins of my life and, and the sinful nature of, of who I am. And here's the truth. I should be, spiritually speaking, should be cuffed and hauled off. But Jesus stepped in in that moment and said, I'll pay your price, TJ. I'll pay the cost of what it is. I'll give my life because the wages of sin is death so that you can be free. And he came. He lived a perfect life. Oh, I love it in Corinthians where it says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. That's exactly what that means right there is he paid that price so I could be free. How many are happy that Jesus Christ was the atonement and the propitiation for your sin? Amen. I love that. I don't know about you. When I hear that, what a free gift that, that God has given you and me. And all he says is this. You just got to take it. And I say thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. Next part of this scripture says this. And not for ours, but only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, so uh, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus' sacrifice paid the sins of everybody. Everyone say everybody. That's how they say it down in Texas, all right. Everybody. So listen to this. Matthew 20, uh, 31, Jesus said, all manner of sin is forgiven of all men. And he would go on to make, there's one exception that's not, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And, and you say, well, what is that? That is the, the, the repeated refusal to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to you, telling you, hey, you need a Savior. Jesus paid the price for your sin. Accept this free gift. But yet in your heart, you just reject, 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 and reject. The Bible says this in Psalm 14.1, only a fool says in their heart, there is no God. How many have ever heard that? Okay. Now, the original language does not say there is no God, but it says no God. Let me, let me, let me tell you a little different, what it, how it sounds different. Only a fool says in their heart, no God. God, I don't want anything to do with you. All right? And so we look at that. So how do you tell, uh, just a little further along, how many have ever dealt with, uh, you felt like you, you've dealt with condemnation in your life? You felt guilt from sins, past sins. The enemy comes in and talks to you about condemnation. Let me give you a little, little help here. You want to know the difference between the Holy Spirit conviction and condemnation or guilt from the devil? How, how many would like a little help? Okay, let me help you out here. The Holy Spirit, when he convicts you, will always point you to the Lord. If you feel guilty uh, or if you feel something in your heart and it points you to Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry to call everyone baby in here, right? <laughs> Condemnation from the devil will make you feel guilty and push you away from God. I can't add up. I'll never be good enough, right? Uh, look at this. Verse 3 going on. And by this we know that we have come to know him. 
And if we uh, keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Boy, that's strong words. After uh, talking about, uh, in the first chapter, communion, uh, communi- uh, communing with the Lord, uh, John uh, goes on to talk about obeying the Lord and his commandments. And the, the New Testament speaks of knowing God, particularly in this, these two senses. There's two things we can look at. Number one is this. The first one is this. One who has trusted Christ knows him or has met him, okay? One who, who has trusted Christ knows him. Everyone says knows him or has met him. I'll give you an example. John 17.3 says this. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, okay? There's one name under heaven by, we are, by that we're saved, right? That's Jesus Christ. Here's the other one. One who has previously known him can know him intimately. So look at this. Philippians 3, 3.10 says this. I want to know Christ. Everyone say, I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. This no is different than, than the first no. I'll, I'll show you. The second appearance of this word no in, in the scripture is the Greek word uh, gnosko, uh, which speaks of intimacy. Intimacy. I love that word intimacy because when you break that word down, intimacy, you can almost say, Lord, into me you see. I love that. I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that he can look deep inside of me and see me and help me and, and tell me and begin to love on me. Amen. The scripture says this, Adam, Adam knew Eve. And that word knew, uh, you know, means, you guys know what it means, intimacy. It's not a surface level thing. God wants to know us intimately. God wants to know who you are and he wants you to know who he is. Okay, this is a relationship with Jesus. It's two ways. How many would say, hey, I want to know the Lord more and more every day. Amen. Uh, walking in intimacy with God, how do we do this? Well, John said this is how we do it. We keep his commandments. We keep his commandments. Verse 5 says this, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Whoo, I love that. By this we may know. That we are in him. So perfected expressed the ideal of, of maturity and completeness. Um, this can mean possibly two things. The love of the Lord grows as, as, as we keep uh, his word, right? It can grow within us. And as we pursue fellowship, here's the second one. As we pursue fellowship and obedience with the Lord, God's love for them is fully complete. So the the latter here is indicated here. We know as we grow that we are in him, right? The scripture in John, I believe it is, uh, it talks about being in the vine, right? Being in the vine. And we are to abide in him, right? He is you know, we we got to get connected to the true vine. We can't grow on our own. You want to blossom for Jesus, you got to get connected to Jesus. I know uh, more than ever day, today because I've, I've grown in the Lord. I'm not the same place I was a year ago, and you shouldn't be either. You ought to be growing every day more and more as you walk this thing out. So John explains that we are abiding 
uh, uh, that what we are abiding in in the next verse. So look at this. I, I like this. Um, verse 6 says this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There's the proof in the pudding right there. How do you know you're walking uh, right with the Lord? You ought to walk the same way that he walked. You ought to live like he lives. Abiding is simply, uh, here, I'm going I'm to spell it out for you. Abiding is simply this, obedience to the Lord and his word. You know what that is? Not my will, Lord, your will be done. Not my selfish thing that I want, but God, whatever you want for me, Whatever your word says for me, God, that's what I want. It's evidenced by life modeled after Jesus Christ. So, you know, some would say this. Isn't that burdensome? Isn't that obligation to, to keep his commandments and, and, and walk the way that he walked? Well, let's read on. Look at this, verse 7. He says this. John says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment. Everyone say old. That you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So look at this. In verses 3 through 6 of this chapter, we see John saying, the test of of personal intimacy and knowledge of God is obedience to Christ's commandments. So here's a good question. Which ones? Well, which ones? John is emphasizing that he has... He has no new obligation in mind. He's he's telling him, listen, I don't have a new commandment here, but rather it's one that the believers from way back when, from the beginning, would have known. John is saying, I'm not laying down legalism. I'm not saying you have to do this. You have to dress this way. You have to act this way. You have to do all these things. I'm not laying new rules for you. Um, That which I'm telling you is something that you have heard from the beginning. How many know that sometimes we've got to be reminded? How many people are forgetful? Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Look at this. Verse uh, uh, verse 8 says this. At the same time, all right, it's a new commandment. What? It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Everyone going, what in the world, John, are you talking about? Uh, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So uh, after just saying, John saying, I don't have a new commandment for you in verse 7. Here he is in verse 8 saying, there's a new commandment. And you know what I say when I see something like that? John, what gives? You're talking in circles here. You said one thing, and now you're saying another thing. And it, But if we look a little bit closer at, at this, we begin to understand in verse 8 doesn't refer to something that hasn't been heard for, before, but rather something that is fresh. You know, uh, God God has fresh anointing for you every day, right? God has new mercies for you every day. So uh, how many know that God's commandments can be fresh to you every day? All right. I, I love this. I like what he's saying here. Hey, hey, it's an old commandment, but let me tell you something. This is what he's saying. It's old, but listen, it's going to feel new because it's not stale or it's not archaic. It's not... Old-fashioned, the commandment is as fresh as the day it was given. How many love to walk into a bakery and smell a fresh bread bacon? Is there anything better? And you may, you can, you may not even be hungry, but you go into a bakery like that, you're going to buy a piece of bread somewhere along the way and eat it, right? 
That's just the way it works. And it's fresh. God's word and God's commandments never grow stale. Well, what happens? Our human nature, this is what happens. It's the dimming of our eyes. It's the apathy, our familiarity that we know the scripture, and it starts to feel stale. But his word is not stale. What is this commandment? Keep reading. We're getting there. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is uh, uh, no uh, cause of st- for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So quickly, just kind of to break that down, this new commandment that John speaks of that is a fresh commandment that is new, it's old, but it's also new, is this, to love. L-O-V-E. Oh, how many of you guys got some chocolates yesterday? How many got, got were smart and bought chocolates today half off? Right? Don't buy them yesterday. You can buy them half price. And if you wait a few more days, they just keep going down and down. And, you know, um, you know we just celebrated Valentine's Day, right, and, uh, and, and love. But, but the love that, that Christ is talking about is greater. Amen. Matthew 20, 22, uh, verse 36 through 39, the, the lawyer asked Jesus, he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I like Jesus. You know, he asked Jesus questions. He's like, how do you read it? I like that. I'm like, how do you read it? You checking him out. He wants to say, hey, well, how do you answer that? And he says this, the lawyer says, love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus says, that's it. And then. He says, and the second, like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. I love that. I don't know about you, but that's a fresh word for you and me, that we should be loving God and loving our neighbors. That never gets old to me because I've been saved a long time. I've been knowing Jesus a long time, but every day I have to make a conscious decision. Lord, I'm going to love you. God, I'm going to love people like you love people. And that sometimes that's not easy, right? You guys have seen how people drive on Highway 37, right? You got a pastor going 100 miles through, 100 miles an hour through 16th Street, right? But, but we are to love, love one another. So if we say we are walking with the Lord and are, are close to the Lord but have hatred in our hearts towards our brothers, then something is not right. Thank you. That's perfect. It's a great thing to say, you know, a lot of people say this, I'm not bitter towards someone, I'm not mad at anyone, or I'm not angry with any anyone, uh, because I know that, I, you know, and, and this is what happens. You know why I'm not bitter, and know why I'm not angry, and you know why? Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, because if I look at myself, man, it's hard for me to look at someone else and say, whew, I can't be mad at you, because God saved me with a grace that I don't deserve. I know how much I've failed. I know how much God has been gracious to me. So um, when that is our heart, I believe, I believe this. That's when we know we are right. Look at this. Verse 12 uh, through, through 14 says this. I am writing to you, little children. I like it. He says it again. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 
I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Amen. And I write to you, children, because you know the father. Verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. I pray that I'm in that group. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So we know there are, are, are four stages to human life. I mean, you could break it down to more if you wanted to be technical, but usually, you know what? There's a childhood, right? There's a youth, and then there's adulthood, and then there's the, my, you're looking wonderful, right? After adulthood, right? You just go a little step further, a little, little, little bit longer. But in the spiritual realm, or, or this Christian walk, there are only three. And I like how John breaks this down. There's little children. Everyone say little children. Everyone say there's young men and women and mature fathers and mothers. And these are spiritual, these are spiritual levels. And listen, not everyone, uh, you know, everyone has to go through the same door. We, we start as little, little children spiritually. We grow, right, to young men and, uh, men and women. And then we move to being a spiritual father and mother. So I want to talk about that. Little, little child. Everyone say little child. Two characteristics that John says. They realize that when you're first saved, a lot of people, they realize this, they, that their sins are forgiven. They realize that they're a sinner. Hey, I love new Christians, right? Because, man, they're like, I am saved by grace, and you cannot convince them anything different, and they know what God has brought them out of. I love baby Christians. All right, and the next thing he says, and he said that in verse 12 and verse 13, he says uh, that these uh, uh, little children or, or, or baby Christians, they know who the father is. And this is a great place, but it's only the starting point. And listen to me, if you're still a little child spiritually and you're still there, you ought to ask God to help you to move up to the next level. God didn't design you to stay there. Amen. So the next one is this, a young person spiritually. Everyone say young person. And, 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 and I want you to hear me. I'm not just talking about ages here. I'm talking spiritually here, okay? S stick with me. So the young person spiritually speaking in the faith is they know that they're, that they're a sinner, and they're, that they've sinned, and they know that their sins are forgiven, and they know their father. So they know exactly what the, 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 the baby Christian knows. But here's where they know. Here's the difference. Verse 13 says, but they have overcome the wicked one. They start to understand, I have some authority in, through Jesus Christ. Amen? I like how? How do they have authority? In verse 14, by the word of God. This is a powerful thing right here, the word of God. So in the wilderness, in temptation, Jesus uses the word of God to defeat the enemy, right, when he lies. Uh, it was Jesus' submission to the word. Listen to me. Listen to me real carefully there. Not only was Jesus speaking the word, but he was in submission to the word of God. There is a difference. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered, this is Jesus. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, you know, Satan's trying to tempt him. He's out there fasting. He's like, hey, you're hungry? See these stones? You can turn them into bread. Right? And he says, oh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by 
every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's straight out of the Bible. And here's this, this is Jesus' implication was this. I will not turn these stones into bread, but I will live by God's word. So look at this. Next one, he says this in Matthew uh, 4, 7. Jesus said to him, and, and the devil took him to the highest uh, a point, pinnacle of the, of the temple and said, hey, the scripture says that if you, if you fall, that the, the Lord won't let you hurt yourself. And, and Jesus said to him, he said, again, it is written. Everyone say, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here's the implication of him saying that. I will not jump off this pinnacle and tempt my father to save me. Look at this, Matthew 4.10. You know, and then the devil takes him and shows him the kingdoms of the world. He says, they're at a high place. And he says, and Jesus says this in Matthew 4.10, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So what's the implication of that? I won't bow down to you, but will worship my father exclusively and only. So there's not just the word of God going forth, but there's an implication behind what he's saying. By, you know, here's the thing. People, uh, people can quote scripture, okay, and, th- and there's nothing wrong with quoting scripture. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling that. Matter of fact, I'd rather you be quoting it, quoting it than not knowing it, okay. But people quote scripture, and, and here's the thing, you know, some people think that that's giving you some kind of power. But let me tell you something, uh, they are mistaken. It's not just quoting it, but it's living it in submission, Okay. It's not just quoting it, but it's actually walking it out and saying, God, I will be obedient to the very thing that I am putting out of my mouth. And that's when the father overcomes the enemy. So, you know, you know, the devil, he runs, uh, uh, you know, when a man or a woman uh, says, I I don't care what my fleshly tendencies are. Here's what God's word says. and, And by the grace of God, I will walk this thing out and I choose to follow him. Amen. So fathers and mothers, everyone say fathers and mothers. Here's the, here's the last one. Like little children, this group knows that, that uh, their sins are forgiven. They understand the nature of their father. Like young, young person, they overcome wicked by being submitted to the word. But, and, and the result that they have is their singular passion. Right here, verse 13, it says this. To know him that is from the beginning, to know Jesus. To know him. Yeah, John 1.1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen? You know, I begin to think about this. The, the longer that you're in uh, as saved, you know, sometimes when you start as a Christian, you know, things seem simple, and you kind of grow in the Lord, and you start to hear all these things, then it kind of becomes complicated. But the longer you're in this thing, you realize that the gospel is super simple. We overcomplicate. I love my dad. Um, I, you know, I... I call him on the phone, and I'll say, hey, Dad, how are you doing? And you know what my dad, or I'll say, or what do you know, Dad, or something like that. That's usually what I say when, I, when he answers the phone. I'm like, what do you know, Dad? And he'll almost always say this, I know Jesus and that he loves me. That's not a doctrinal, uh, you know, exhortation. Or there. It, that, that right there carries weight. That's a spiritual father who's been through some things that has grown through the Lord and saying, hey, I've got my eyes focused on Jesus and him alone. doesn't matter what's happening in the world. doesn't matter what's going on. I will serve Jesus. So look at this. Here's the next verse. 15 says this. Do not love the world. Amen. 
Uh, it, the Greek word for world here is clear. It's, it doesn't refer to people, but rather to the philosophy and the mentality of the world system, okay? Don't love this. Don't fall in love with this world. We are sojourners going through this earth. We're only here temporarily. You know how long eternity is? You ought to focus on that and not just what's in this little section of, of what we call life. Look at this on the next, next verse says, or next portion says, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Come on, somebody. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So I'll use this example. This is a good example because the Super Bowl just happened. An NFL team cannot win a game with only three plays, right? Any good NFL team is going to eventually catch on and stop a team that keeps running the same three plays. They're going to know what's happening. They're eventually going to adjust their defenses, and they're going to catch on, and they are going to annihilate the team that only has three plays. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. Let me empower you in here, child of God, believer in Jesus Christ. The devil only has had three plays from the beginning of time. Three plays. Look at this. And I, I love it because John, he, he does a good job pulling this out. Right here, number one, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Number two, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So look at this. I'll, I'll give you a good example. In Genesis 6, we saw, uh, we, we see Eve, right? And the, the Bible says that she she uh, saw the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, and saw that it was good food, right? Lust of the eyes. Uh, it's good, right? And then, and then, um, or, and so, the, and then she was tempted to move on that. And then, so there's the lust of the flesh, right? Eventually she had to reach up and grab that thing, right? What comes in your eyes comes out in your actions. Come on, somebody. And here's the last one, the pride of life. What happens is she, she does this, she eats it, and then there's the pride of life. There, that's what that is. Hey, this is going to make you wise. This is going to make you uh, more knowledgeable, right? Matthew 4, we, we see that Satan tried the same thing with Jesus, right? He tempted him, right, with the, with the bread. I talked about it. That's the lust of the flesh. He took Jesus up uh, to the to, to the uh, uh, to the see all the kings in the world. That's the lust of the eyes. He took him to the to the pinnacle of the temple. That's the pride of life. And to this day, every attack falls under one of these three categories, and the devil only has those plays. So, how do we counter these? Oh, I'll give you I'll give you some examples. The lust of the flesh. Let's talk about that one. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. Paul said. I don't let my body to have mastery over me. That's a tough one. Right? That's a tough one. It's one of those things that we do. And you want, you want to know how, how much control you have over your body? Fast. Go on a fast. How many of you have ever tried to go on a fast? And you get to lunch and you already forgot you're on a fast and you ate something. 
right? It's a, it's our human nature. It's the it's the lust of the flesh. It's 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 what we are. And so so hey, if we can get that under subjection, here's the next one: the lust of the eyes. I I like this. Do what David did when when uh, he said this in Psalm 101:3. He said, "I will I will set no wicked thing before my eyes." I like that. Listen to me. Listen to me. Hear me out. Not everything is bad, but not everything is profitable. Not everything is bad, but not everything is profitable for you to see. All right, here's the last one, the pride of life. Everyone say pride of life. Do what Jesus did. He humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation. Philippians 2.7. And God gives grace to the humble, right? But he resists the what? You want to know what cures pride? Serving others. Loving others. Humility cures worldliness. It does. The longer you walk with the Lord, the simpler it really should be. It's, it's not about theology. It's not about doctrines. It's not about success in ministry. But it's simply this. Jesus, you're in my life. And that's all that matters. Not ministry, it's not theology, not family, just you, Jesus. I love being with you. I love talking to you. I, I just love you. Amen. All right, let's 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 go on. Children, young men, spiritual fathers and mothers, and listen. John commends all of them. And I don't know where you're at in your journey. If you're a, uh, you've been around, you're mature, and you feel like you're a, a spiritual father or mother. Start. Oh, man, start caring for somebody. Start loving on a younger person. Start telling them that they have a, a, a plan and that God wants to see them fulfilled. Be somebody worth following spiritually. Amen? I love that. Look at this. Verse 17 says this. And the Lord is passing, uh, and, and um, not the Lord, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So everything in the world is based upon the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, guess what? It all pass away someday. But the word of the Lord goes on forever. So here's the next one. So verse 18, he begins to kind of shift gears and starts to warn us about the, the Antichrist. And verse 18 says this, children, everyone say children. It's the last hour. It is the last hour. So in the beginning of this chapter, John talked about the light of God. So here in the second half of the of chapter 2, he gives us warning about the darkness of the enemy. How many know that the devil's playing for keeps? And I like this uh, because John says it's the last hour. Imagine if it was the last hour when he's writing this. Imagine how close we are to that now. Think about that. And as he says this, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So Antichrist, or literally translated against Christ or in the place of Christ, um, I'll give you some example. People who are, uh, here's a good example right here. Uh, people who are more upset about the two commercials about Jesus in the Super Bowl than they were about the Grammys the week before. Come on, somebody. All right, I'll just leave that one alone. I'm sorry. I, I hate to go back to that. The spirit of Antichrist is all around us. People get offended about Jesus, right, and the Bible. 
you know, it's interesting. People don't get offended by Muhammad. They don't get offended by Buddha. They don't get offended by any other. Why? Because there is one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the world does not want to come into subjection to that. Listen to me. Oh, I, boy, that's so good. Antichrist carries a, a threefold meeting. Here you go if you want to write these down. I'll try to fly through these. First, Antichrist is, is a person. And we know in Revelation thir chapter 13 and chapter 16 and chapter 19, a world leader will arise on the scene who will be cunning, so clever, and charismatic that he will actually take the place of Christ in the minds of many people, right? So we know that. Here's the second one. There is such a thing as the spirit of Antichrist, all right? And if you need a reference, 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 3. The spirit of Antichrist has pervaded the history of mankind. Let me give you some atrocities of mankind, all right? Uh, how about the spirit of people like this? Adolf Hitler. Stalin. Mao. These are people just in the last, uh, within, you know, oh, uh, under 100 years ha who did atrocities to their own people. and their own, I mean, killing millions of people. Millions of people. And so uh, they annihil annihilated their own people. The only explanation for such uh, an exploitation and murderous insanity is the spirit of Antichrist trying to destroy God's people uh, and in Stalin's own words, to become the new Christ. Interesting, right? Here's the third meaning of the term Antichrist. It's seen here in our text in reference to teachers who who in denying Jesus' deity make him out to be less than he declared himself to be. Uh, he claimed to be God himself, right? So people uh, who say, hey, uh, Jesus was a good guy. He was a good guy, but he's not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was a good prophet, but he's not the, all right? So look at this, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and that it might become plain that they uh, are, are all are not of us. So John tells us that we can recognize through who have been seduced by the spirit of Antichrist is those who say things like, hey, forget church, I don't need fellowship, I, I'm not interested in the body of Christ, I can experience Christ on my own. Be careful with words like that. It's not the way that God designed it. How about this, or linked to, to, to nobody at all, there's no accountability, they only depart from the fellowship because, uh, you know, uh, seen in the next five verses that they, they deny the faith. So look at this, verse 20 says this. But you have been, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. Everyone say, "I've been anointed," and you all have knowledge. The King James Version says, "You know all things." The Greek word here for uh, uh, for know is 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 edo, which means this intuitively, intuitively, because we have been anointed by God. There are things that that you know, not because you are mentally. Uh, figuring them out, but because you intuitively know they are wrong. Because it's who you know, right? That which false teachers uh, fall into this category because their words don't ring true in our hearts. So look at this. I'll give you an example. And I saw this. I thought this was interesting. 
You know, they teach people who, who look for counterfeit money. They don't teach them to look at all the different ki- types of counterfeits and the way that counterfeits are. You know how they teach people to find counterfeit money? They put the real deal in front of them, and they make them inspect that so they understand what the real deal is. If you want to know counterfeit religions in this world, you got to study the real deal, which is Jesus Christ, and you'll see the counterfeits don't, don't add up to what he is. All right? Somebody hear me out today? And listen, you want to spot the counterfeit in this time, you have to know who Jesus Christ is. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. There's a a mouthful there. There's a lot going on there. So now remember, John, he's dealing with the Gnostics here, and he's trying to address them and who are saying and trying to diminish who Jesus was, the Son of God, and that he lived on this earth. And he simply says this, to deny the Father and the Son, uh, you know, when you say that, when you say the Father is here, the Son is not here, there's a differentiation in their elevation. How many know that they're one and the same? Amen. And God, three and one, right? Uh, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit. So we, we know that and we believe that. But some groups, okay, some groups have this thing, and they have layers of people. Some groups say that Jesus' brother was the devil. Come on. I won't tell you who that is, but you can figure it out in your own time. Some people, they, they put Jesus uh, down here, but the Father as a higher place. And so let me tell you something. All those things have their roots in Gnosticism or Gnostics, and it's heresy. Some say that he was not equal to the Father, but rather created a being that the Father sent to take the blow while he watched. That's not who, that's not the nature of God. I have to understand who Jesus is first and foremost. The Bible says that Jesus is this wonderful counselor. The everlasting father, right? Jesus said, I and the father are. Paul said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19. And, and, and my perception of, of the fatherhood of God and the sacrifice of the son will be terribly skewed when I begin to elevate them at different levels. And Paul said, great is the mystery that God became a man. So there, uh, this is a more than a doctrinal discussion. So if you uh, do not say that Jesus is God, then, 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 uh, then make God, you make God a very cruel person or an awful person who created his son to take a hit, unwilling to do it himself. So if, on the other hand, Jesus is indeed God, then God himself absorbed the blow, took the hit, and was pinned to the cross personally. Amen. That's called the propitiation of our sins. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I want to say eternal life. Let me simplify that for you, okay? That whole little bit of scripture. The mystery of God in Christ reconciling the world into himself 
is the key to eternal life. How many want to live forever in heaven? How many want to be with the Lord? It's, you're going to do it through Jesus Christ. Reconcile means to restore the relationship. Verse 26 says this. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So false teachers are coming along the scene. And only and they come in and they, they come for a while. Then they depart from the fellowship and they deny the faith. But they also try to deceive as many people as they can about who the nature, true nature of Jesus Christ was. Verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as uh, his anointing teaches you uh, about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So John's saying this. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, everyone say anointing, you'll recognize false teaching and foolishness. And he's not saying because you are spirit-led, you are not to be taught by man. That's not what he's saying right there. That's not what he's saying because I'll, I'll give you some reasons here. Ephesians 4.11 said God gave us teachers to the church, right? Okay. Paul taught daily in the school of Tyrannus, right? And what about this? The early church devoted itself to teaching. Okay, so somebody's got to teach. John's not denying the necessity for true teaching. Rather, he's denying, validating false teachers. Notice God gives the anointing through the Holy Spirit. God has anointed you and God has anointed me and appointed us for such a time as this. Here's the last, last bit of scripture. Everyone say amen. Man, I felt like I went 100 miles an hour. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So let me just give you this. Those who have made Jesus less than he, uh, than he is will be ashamed one day when they come to him face to face. And they understand exactly who he was and who he, who he was here on this earth. Philippians 4, 10, 11 says this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. I love, I love this, this, this book of 1 John is challenging me. I think it's very powerful. Will you just stand with me? Let us pray.